Hey, welcome to the 143rd episode of More Than Bread, a podcast where I hope I hope to diligently set the table so that you can feast on God's Word. I'm Dan, a husband, father, and grandfather. I love being a grandfather. I've been a pastor for 35 or so years and your host for this podcast for a couple of years. During those two plus years, we've gone through the whole New Testament, and then we went back to go a bit deeper into two of the Gospels. And And if you haven't listened to them yet, I hope you do. Um, but in this chapter, we've been looking at some of the Psalms, my top 40 out of 150 Psalms. And I've also invited you to share your top Psalm with me with the promise that it might make it into an episode. And today, we have exactly that happening. Thanks to Karen, we are heading into Psalm 121, her favorite. Now, Psalm 121 is part of a grouping of 14 psalms that together are known as the the Psalms of Ascent. Ascending what, you might ask? Well, in in a sense, I guess, ascending to the mountain of God, ascending to the temple in Jerusalem. These are songs of pilgrimage sung by pilgrims on their way to the holy place, the, the city of Jerusalem, the temple. They're psalms of the journey. Now, as an aside, before we jump in, one of my favorite authors and pastors was Eugene Peterson. He he died in the last uh, couple of years. And, and one of his best books, in my mind, was a book that deepened my love for the Psalms. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If you haven't read it, it'd be a great way to deepen your knowledge, your your understanding of some of these Psalms, but also a great way to think about how do we grow spiritually. This book was kind of his time-tested prescription for spiritual growth in an eternally distracted society. And in the book, he looks at these Psalms of Ascent, using them as a sort of metaphor of our life journey to God. And Peterson writes, tucked away in the Hebrew Psalter, I discovered an old dog-eared songbook, the Songs of Ascents, that were sung by pilgrims on their way to worship in Jerusalem. And these psalms, uh, it's actually Psalm 120 through 134, Peterson finds encouragement for modern pilgrims as we learn to grow in worship and service and joy and work and happiness, humility, community, and blessing. With Psalm 121, we're going to look at almost a half, a little bit shy of half of those Psalms of Ascent. And as I read it from the New International Version, don't miss the very first question, the very first line, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Listen as I read. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel would neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Who can I trust for help? My help comes from the Lord. Where do I go when I need help? My help comes from the Lord. We're going to hang out for a bit in those first two verses. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, there's there's more than just a little bit of depth and context that we could miss if we don't pause here. So first, let me ask you, what do you suppose the psalmist had in mind as he pictured this moment and asked this question? 
I lift my eyes to the mountains. Just picture yourself. You could be somewhere in Pennsylvania, somewhere in Colorado. Just, just imagine, I lift my eyes to the mountains. And I ask the question, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So what's going on here? Is it a creation reminder that causes the psalmist to place his hope for help in God? I lift my eyes to the mountains and I place my hope for help in the maker of the mountains. Like like perhaps in my area where I live, it would be the colors of fall. I lift my eyes to the beauty of the fall colors and I'm reminded that creator God is my helper. And, and perhaps this is part of what's on David's heart, but I think it's it's more than that. Some suggest that David had in mind the mountain of God. I mean, the very city of Jerusalem, the religious center of Jewish worship is on a hill. In the centuries to come, as pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem for one of three or four main festivals, they would sing this song written by David, even perhaps as they climbed the large steps of the temple. You can just imagine, I lift my eyes to the mountain where my help comes from. And again, surely this was part of it. I mean, even though David never had the opportunity to see the completion of his dream of building God a house, a place, Jerusalem was still, even in those days, in so many respects, the mountain of God, Mount Zion. And and of course, there is biblical context for looking up to God. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6.1. And the prophet Zechariah described Jerusalem as the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. In Psalm 3, the psalmist writes, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Uh, Lifting our eyes towards the heavens is a biblical image of prayer. Even Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven when he prayed in John 17, 1. I think this is part of it. But another commentator suggests that since David most likely wrote the psalm after he was king, by the time he wrote it, he had spent a lot of time in those mountains, in the hills surrounding Jerusalem. And as he pens the question, I lift my eyes to the hills, to the mountains, where does my help come from? Perhaps he's remembering what happened in those hills. <laughs> for, for perhaps as many as 10 to 15 years, he had hidden in those hills from a king who wanted him dead. So when David lifted his eyes to those mountains, he was remembering. He was remembering fear, and he was remembering running and despair and, and remembering grief. He was remembering the hard times of life, darkness. But but he also saw deliverance. He he saw protection and purpose and hope. He remembered the presence of God in the midst of the mountains of difficulty. He remembered the help that God had sent him. Let me just ask you, what hills of hardship, what mountains of difficulty do you see when you lift your eyes? Times when you wondered if God had all but forgotten you, but then looking back, you, you also see his help. And then perhaps there's even one more layer of context and meaning in David's question and answer. In David's days, the high places were the places where idol worship took place. In the hills surrounding Jerusalem, worshipers of Baal would go to the highest spot, the spots closest to heaven, and build altars of worship to false gods. So that when David says, I lift my eyes to the mountains, perhaps he's commenting on the suspicion that idol worshipers had that the gods could only be reached from the high places. And so David is saying, not my God, not my God. The low places are not too hard for him. My help does not come from the high places. My help comes from God, the God who made the high places. 
And I'll be honest, I think David had all of that in mind. It's poetry, after all, and often poetry is meant to be pregnant with meaning. It's it's meant to have meaning that that arises almost subjectively, somewhat objectively, but 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 personally in in your heart. But you know what? The thing that is not open for interpretation is the answer to the question. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. It's like, I don't, I don't care what you look, and I don't care where you look, and I don't care what happened or, or happens in those hills. My help comes from creator God. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. The Lord is my helper. You know, it's interesting. And, and ladies, this is perhaps especially for you. The Hebrew word here for help is the word etzer. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My eatser, my help. My eatser comes from the Lord. And, and here's what's interesting, just a little sidebar. When God created Eve, the first woman, right? When God created Eve, he gave her a very specific name. He called her an eatser konegdo. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him an eatser konegdo. Robert Alter in his commentary in the psalm suggests that this phrase is notoriously difficult to translate. Sometimes it's translated as companion, sometimes helper, or in the old King James Version, a help meet. But you know what? That word eatser is used only 20 other places in the whole Old Testament. 21 times it's used in the Bible. 21 times it's used in the Bible once to describe Eve and 20 times to describe God. Specifically, the God who comes through for you when you desperately need him. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My eatser comes from the Lord. John Eldridge talks about this this passage, and, and he writes that most of the context where eatser is used are life and death situations where, by the way, God, or in Genesis, your wife, the woman, where God is your only hope, God is your only eatser. He, if he's not there beside you, you're dead. A better translation, Eldred suggests, of eatser would be lifesaver. Lifesaver. Ladies, the life God calls you to live is not a safe life. He calls you to be a lifesaver. Let me just ask you, for whom is God calling you to be an eatser? And you realize you don't need to be a mother to be an eatser, right? You just have to follow God. You have to live out the purposes of God for your life. God has called you to be a lifesaver. For whom is God calling you to be an eatser? Maybe he's calling you to fight for a relationship. Maybe he's calling you to to bring life to the next generation, calling you to fight for your spouse, calling you to be a a lifesaver for kids who get bullied, calling you to be a lifesaver for those who are anxious or, or filled with despair or grief or for someone who is cutting or even thinking about ending their life. Where does my eatser come from? My eatser comes from the Lord, my lifesaver, my ever vigilant lifesaver. In fact, David says he never sleeps. This God never sleeps. He works the night shift and the day shift and the everything in between shift. In verses three and four, David says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. John Orberg writes about a night when he experienced God's love, God's ever-present love. He woke up in the middle of the night, and he says his wife, Nancy, was sleeping beside him. And and suddenly, instead of feeling groggy, he was just overwhelmed by this most intense sense of love. A kaleidoscope of images raced through his mind, replayed over and over, one scene after another. 
the afternoon they met, their first private jokes, secret nicknames, hidden traditions, the, the way she smiled as she came down the wedding aisle looking at him. And he thought about what life would be like without her, how empty it would be, how so much of him was wrapped up in her. And for the longest time, he just watched her. But then lying there, propped up on one elbow, looking at his wife, a scripture came to mind, Psalm 121, verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. And with that scripture came the thought, while I lie in bed sleeping, God is watching me. And then he had this sense that God was speaking to him, saying, I love you like that. While you lay sleeping, no one can see you, but I watch you and my heart is full of love for you. What your heart is feeling right now as you watch your wife, what a parent feels watching a child is just a little picture for you, a gift so you can know every night when you go to sleep that this is my heart for you. I want you to reflect on this at night before you close your eyes. I'm watching you and I'm full of love. Do you understand your helper, your lifesaver, maker of heaven and earth? He can't get enough of you. He can't get enough of you. In Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5, Paul calls it being covered in God's love. He writes, without a single fault, we stand before him covered in his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. He didn't have to. He wanted to. You're not a have to. You're a want to. It's not even, let's make a deal. You shape up and I'll let you in. (laughs) He wanted to. He wants to cover you in his love. You are covered in God's love. Would you just in this moment right now as you listen, let that settle in. You are covered in his love. If you could see Father's face right now, you would see delight, not disappointment. Andy Stanley said in his ministry, Jesus taught two opposing ideas that seemed like they shouldn't come out of the same person's mouth. He came along and actually made everybody feel worse about themselves. He raised the bar. He came into an environment where they had dumbed down God's law to say, it's not so hard to be godly. It's not so hard to be righteous. God wasn't as serious as maybe you thought he was. And Jesus came along and he pushed the bar way up high and said, oh, no, 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 it's it's worse than you thought. You thought you were kind of bad. You're really bad. You thought you were good. You're not good at all. <laughs> But then he also came along and said, and oh, by the way, God loves you just the way you are. Wait a minute, which is it? Either I'm terrible or God loves me. And Jesus responded, it's both. You're terrible and God loves you. You're worse than you thought. And God loves you more than you can imagine. You're loved like that. Do you hear me? You are loved like that. You are. You are relentlessly loved with an indiscriminate affection. So don't lose heart today. Hold on to hope today. Trust him to finish what he has started today. God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He works the night shift. You are not unseen ever. You're not forgotten ever. His heart is for you always. Never for a moment has God's love for you dipped below the red line. It is a never failing, always present love. Your circumstances do not define his love. They are defined by his love. And I think somehow that's what David was tapping into on that day when he wrote the psalm. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Does it come from my own abilities? No, my help comes from the Lord. How about money, power, powerful people, people of influences? Is that where my help comes from? No, no, my help comes from the Lord. Where does my help come from in a world filled with uncertainties and challenges? This this question must resonate deeply within us. And in the midst of life's hard times, the psalmist answers 
with unshakable confidence. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In his book, Finding Hope Where God Seems Silent, Ben Patterson shares a mountain climbing story that I'll never forget. It was the summer of 1988. He and three friends were climbing Mount Lyle, the highest peak in Yosemite National Park. Two of the four of them were experienced climbers. Two were not. Ben was one of the not. (laughs) It was a difficult journey that would take most of the day to climb and return, due in large measure to the glacier that had to be crossed on the way. As the hours passed and they trudged up the glacier, the two experienced climbers began to open a wide gap between Ben and his less experienced companion. Patterson writes, being somewhat competitive by nature, I began to look for shortcuts. (laughs) Shortcuts that I might be able to take to beat them to the top. I I thought I saw one to the right of an outcropping of rock, and so I went up, deaf to the protest of my companions. Thirty minutes later, I was trapped in a cul-de-sac of rock atop the Lyle Glacier, looking down several hundred feet of a sheer slope of ice pitched at a 45-degree angle. I was only 10 feet from the safety of a rock, but one little slip, and I wouldn't stop sliding until I had landed in the valley floor about 50 miles away. I was stuck, he says, and I was scared. Maybe Patterson's words describe your life right now. You're stuck in the mountains of trouble and you need help. Ben was stuck and scared. It it took an hour for his experienced climbing friends to even find him. Standing on the rock, Ben desperately wanted to reach. One of them leaned out and used an ice axe to chip two little footsteps in the glacier. And then he gave Ben these instructions. Listen to this. Ben, he said, you must step out from where you are and put your foot where the first foothold is. And without a moment's hesitation, swing your other foot across and land it in the next step. And then reach out, all in one motion, reach out and I'll take your hand and I'll pull you to safety. Then he said this, but listen carefully, Ben. As you step across, don't lean into the mountain. If anything, lean out a bit. Don't lean into the mountain. If anything, lean out a bit. (laughs) Otherwise, your feet could fly out from under you and you'll start sliding down the cliff. Lean out a bit, Patterson writes. When I'm on the edge of a cliff, my instinct is to lie down and hug the mountain to become one with it, not lean away from it. I looked at my friend real hard. He said, for a moment, based solely on what I believed to be true about him, I decided to say no to what I felt and to lean away from the mountain and step out towards my friend. He said, it took less than two seconds to find out if my faith was well-founded, and it was. Before the day is over, listen to me, before the day is over, some of you may hear the still small voice of the Spirit of God calling you to, to lean out, to lean away from what you think is your last bit of security, to, to lean away from control, to lean away from the mountain, lean away. Listen, As we journey through life facing whatever mountains we face, various challenges can leave us feeling overwhelmed and weary. But Psalm 121 assures us that our God is a vigilant keeper who never slumbers nor sleeps. You can lean away from the mountain and lean into his arms, listen for his voice, trust him. He works the night shift and is our ever-present, always-aware helper, lifesaver, present in our darkest moments, providing strength and courage to endure. You can trust him. He is your helper. 
Let me read Psalm 121 once more. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Father God, be our help. Convince our hearts. Forgive us for the times when we don't trust you, that we, we, we lean on our own understanding. We lean into the mountain of the world's culture and success and, and so many helps that the world offers. And rather than leaning away and leaning on you, leaning into your strength, God, help us to trust you. God, you are our helper. You are our helper, heaven, Lord of heaven, maker of heaven and earth. You, you are our helper. And I pray for each and every person listening, regardless of what they're going through, that they would turn to you, that they would turn their eyes to you, that they would surrender control to you, that they would listen for your voice, that they would trust your help, and that you would be their helper, maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.